It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am really looking forward to talking to my guest today. Joining me is Dwayne Cummings. He is a speaker. I heard him speak just recently, as a matter of fact, an author. He wrote a book called The Sensational Salesman, and he is the current CEO and founder of The Sensational Group. And he's a trusted advisor to organizations and individuals around the world regarding professional and personal development. And lives with a great, great motto that he has, which is to aid others, act on ideas, and achieve sensational results. So, Dwayne, welcome to Accelerate. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Andy. It's a pleasure to be here. So, take a minute to fill out that introduction I started with. Uh, Tell us about yourself. Wow. Well, uh, it sounds Pollyanna, but I want to make the world a better place. You know, so I serve others wherever I can. I avail myself and meet people where they're at. So some days, as you know, I, I'm a writer, and other days I'm a speaker, and I'm still involved in several companies. I have a consulting company, so sometimes I'm helping businesses. Uh, we are involved in a lot of nonprofit stuff, so you know sometimes we're just showing up there and doing what we can. But uh, I, I guess I'm kind of living a epic dream kind of life. Yeah, I have to pinch myself every day, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's start with with uh, you want to make the world a better place. I mean, it's it's. From some people, that may come across as, you know, hey, yeah, I say that. Yeah, I want to make the world a better place. Yeah, yeah. But it's something that, that you know, having heard you talk, I mean, I know this is a very sincere way that you live your life. I mean, how, how did you boil it down to that? Well, you know, some people say, oh, don't bite off more than you can chew. Or, you know, I, I want to solve hunger. But that's too big. You know, it's just one drop in an ocean, whatever. But I know that every day I can interact with people, with organizations, uh, just how I handle myself and how I live my life as an example for other people. So if I focus, be intentional, be purposeful, I can make ripples. I can make a difference in the world. So, you know, if we happen to be in a place where somebody's hungry, you feed them. If you happen to be in a place where somebody's struggling with business acumen and they're, you know, they're maybe an entrepreneur or a corporation that just can't get over the hump, things are going wrong. Then you roll up your sleeves and you get involved with them and you contribute the value or the knowledge that you have. Um, if it's a relationship, you know, you get in there and you teach people or, or share the lessons that you've learned and maybe they assimilate and apply them in their life and it turns it around. So, you know, myself, can I do it all alone? No, I, you know, I, I know that. And so hence why I, you know, share my message and continue to get out there because then if other people will get on board and they do their little bit and somebody else does their little bit. You know, it's it's kind of like the old phrase, many hands make light work. Yeah, and in your case, I mean, especially you say probably what you work with the nonprofits and charities and so on, is is you know, the the reward is not monetary, obviously. But I would hazard a guess to say that having do having done that work and continue to do that work, that it actually it, it feeds the profit side of your business. Yeah, I think that you know, people are always watching, whether you know it or not, they're always watching. And so then if they see that your intentions are pure, you're really out there making a difference. Uh, I don't look at it as sacrificing, but some people would say, oh, you're sacrificing your time or your resources to serve other people and help, you know, in that world. Then, you know, they become your 
support system and your cheerleaders and they become your you know potential clients and they are your raving fans you know by Kenneth Blanchard's name and um, so it yeah I think by doing the right things you also attract and you filter in the people that you probably would love to do business with would love to be around you know that kind of thing all right so I'm a huge soccer fan and you talk about how you played professional soccer so where where did you play soccer yeah and and um, you know back in my day it was not the same. Uh, we're talking about, you know, mid, late eighties, early nineties, mm-hmm, what everybody mm-hmm. thinks of now. So you were in the middle of the NASL heyday where you had Pele and Giorgio Shoglin and all those guys here. Right. And then the start of the MLS. So I had to ply my trade, you know, uh, like with the Oklahoma city slickers indoor, uh, yeah. then, and then they originally they did a stampede outdoor. At one time I owned the new Orleans rage, which is indoor, uh, the Tucson Amigos, you know, these teams that lots of people would have never heard of. Lots of people didn't know. Uh, it's kind of like double a or single a, oh, maybe yeah. even a, you know, ball, but, um, I used to go to San Diego soccer's games, which is the indoor team here. They're quite good. And that was amazing. Fun game to watch. Yeah. So I started out originally training with the Phoenix Inferno, which, you know, they were in that same CISL type league, MISL major indoor soccer league. Um, with the soccer's and then the soccer's play outdoor and um, yeah so you know I, I say I played professional soccer and yeah I did get paid and all that but you were also in a period of time where they said hey part of your contract is you got to go do 20 camps and um, you know we might we might get you a little per diem food money extra bonus you're not getting a check for two hundred thousand dollars you know um, no not, I, not in those days for sure <laughs> Right. And so, uh, you know, I got to play some few games in Japan. Uh, probably the biggest claim to fame was playing against Moscow Spartak, you know, which I was. Oh, nice. In, yeah, but I, I was in over my head. And, you know, you always think you're better than you are at that age. Um, yeah, but, you know, I, I kind of got to chase that dream. And um, it, that I, I lettered in five sports in high school. I really never would have thought that I would have gone on to play soccer, but I was really not that good at the other sports. And, um, you know, I, I did a bit of military time because I wasn't doing what I was supposed to in college. And so I played for the all army team, which was great. Cause I got to play in different places around the world and, um, just carried on with soccer. Yeah. All right. So final question about soccer is, so what teams do you follow now? Oh, uh, well, this is where I got to be careful cause I'll alienate tons of people that are in my life, you know, uh, but candidly, I've been a Newcastle guy. From a Ooh. long way back. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I, you know, Kevin Keegan back in the yeah, old days, yeah. and um, you know, I, I was a director of coaching for a club called Magpies. So, um, you know, Jordies are in my heart. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah no, I, I said I just said sorry, not because there's nothing wrong with Newcastle. It's just that people aren't soccer fans. They just were unfortunately relegated from the Premier League to I know, the championship. Now, our youngest son's named after Ian Rush, who was a great Welsh footballer. Oh yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, very cool. <laughs> All right. Enough soccer talk. We could go on forever. This is not, unfortunately, a, a soccer show. I may start one of those, though. But so, um, you know, there's a theme in everything you do, which is is this word sensational. So define sensational for us. What does it mean for you? Well, it's tough because, you know, the world looks at sensational. They hear things like sensationalized or, you know, it, it's kind of the wrong connotation a lot of times. But for me, it's really just uh, something that had great public interest or there's excitement around it. And it, the words awesome are used all the time. Amazing, fantastic, remarkable, great. And so when I just began to look at 
where could I have a little bit of a difference? Where could maybe a word ring on people's ear that they don't hear all the time? Uh, Sensational was available and, and there just wasn't much out there in the public domain. You know, that was, it's been years, but when the internet was going on, you know, those websites, there was not really much in Sensational. There were mm-hmm. no books about Sensational. The The drawback is, and I, you know, I mentioned this at the talk I think that you were at, is if you misspell my name, Dwayne Cummings, and you throw the word Sensational in there, you get an African-American porn star. That's the other person you get besides me now. We've been, I think he's kind of out of the industry now, and we've been doing things long enough that he's kind of pushed down the Google search rankings. Mm-hmm. You know, to maybe page 10 or 12 or whatever, but uh, that was the only thing I was really combating. But, but how many things do you do in your life that are truly sensational? Well, I guess you know? that's right. So that's, that's the key point. I mean, how do you, how do you define that? So we'll sort of create that context for people listening as, as sensational because yeah, you start to differentiate it from sort of the overused, awesome cliches that we hear so often. Right. And so in our, People ask us all the time. We do a hashtag a sensational life, and we just started a global art project where artists in different cities around the world are creating murals of what they think their concept of what a sensational life is. And you know, they do the mural representing the city and their own ideas. And I think sensational is different for different people. You know, and that's what I'm really hoping they do. You know, the the word sensational for me, it could be the hour that I spend with my wife holding hands in our hammock in our backyard. Um, that will be a sensational hour for me. That will be one of those, you know, Kodak moments. If you want to go back to that period of time, it'll be a Hallmark moment. Um, so, so sensational to me could be anything and, and other people can take it however they want. Uh, you know, I've, we've been doing things around the world now and some people come up to me and they say, you know, the most sensational thing that happened in my life was, and then they'll say something that other people might've thought was kind of average, you know, like they got a new bicycle or, um, they're going to go to college, but to them, that's sensational. You know, it's it's an opportunity to use that word and attach it to something good in your life when other words would just kind of be lost in the noise. Ooh, I never thought of it that way, but I think that's the way it should be. It should be <laughs> okay. All right, you can pay me a royalty on the uh, on the definition, but and it's, it <laughs> it's got a consulting fee. It'll be in the mail. Okay. So. Well, I mean, it's really it's 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 personal. As you talked about, yeah, but it's it's really I think you're talking about in a sense that that I think is really unique that it's really about appreciation. Yeah, yeah, and oftentimes at least that's what I take from when I read your materials and so on and listen to you talk. It's really about it's really about appreciation for what you have that makes it sensational. You know, appreciating that moment you have with your wife by yourself alone. You know, perfect weather, swaying in a hammock in your backyard and. Suburban Atlanta. I mean, I, it's it's like, yeah, you can picture that, and you can say, okay, that that I really I have an appreciation for that. Whereas, you know, everything that's awesome and so on just seems sort of temporary and fleeting. Yeah, I guess if you wanted to do sensational for me, now that you say it that way, it does equate to gratitude, to being grateful. So, sensational evening, a sensational experience, that's something that I'm grateful for. It really moved me. It changed me. I'm, you know, I have gratitude towards. So that's a good way to look at it. Thank you for that. So you wrote a book called The Sensational Salesman. Yeah. And the book was written in parable form. But I mean, how would you, how would you define what a, you know, tell us what the sensational salesman or salesperson is. Yeah. And it's funny because when we were working to decide the title, 
we had tons of feedback, beta readers, women, et cetera, that said, hey, it's got to be salesperson. I said, but you don't get it. The main character is a man. So I, I kind of have to go with salesman. And it's the first book in this series. So the next one that's about ready to come out is The Sensational Leader. Then there's Sensational Spouse, Parent, uh, Mentor, Entrepreneur. There's a bunch. But the first one basically lays the foundation for everything. And a guy falls in his face and gets a mentor in his life that teaches him 15 lessons that we all should know and should live our life by. But he'd kind of gotten off track. And as people begin to find out, there are real people mixed in the books. So although it's a parable and it's listed as fiction, there are some real people in there like, um, you know, Bob Berg, who wrote The Go-Giver. Yes. You know, he's in the book. Yeah. So he's in the book. And I do it in a lot of re- a lot of reasons. One is because these people are involved in my life. Two, I want to pay honor and tribute. And three, they have great content and lessons to teach the world. So I weave them into my story. But by also writing in parable form, I can kind of share my life because it's the arc of my life. That's what the whole series is. It's me 30 years ago falling on my face and then all the lessons I've learned. What would you do to fall on your face? Yeah, I, um, well, it's got to be a spoiler alert, but here, okay, here's what I can tell you is in my personal life, I had, you know, had a lot of successes early on by anybody's definition and was achieving certain things. And I lied in a situation that caused my life to fall apart. I mean, I just, that's the truth. I just lied and, um, everything fell in. And, and so then it was basically like you hit that rock bottom and now you find a solid foundation, which the first lesson in the book is honesty and integrity. So although it's called a salesman, a sensational salesman, it's about much more than that. There's communication and branding and relationships and all the lessons I had to learn to kind of rebuild my life. So I hope, yeah, I don't want to be, a, I don't want to spoiler it too much, but well, yeah, I'm sure you won't because we're gonna yeah, we're not be able to get through all fifteen all fifteen lessons, but but right. I mean I think it's 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 important. I mean I it's it can be just something simple, which I, I imagine at the time it maybe didn't appear to be significant for you, but you know these things can come back. Uh, the lack of integrity and honesty and and take away everything you have. Yeah. And, and just so you know, it wasn't like, uh, you know, I stayed up for days and plotted this scheme that I was going to defraud somebody or whatever it was, you know, in, in the course of our lives, whether we're trying to impress people or whether we're trying to gain a small advantage or whatever's going on, you know, there's this tendency to make things bigger than they are. You know, the whole fake book world versus Facebook and, you know, people that go years and then all of a sudden they get fired from a university because somebody looked at their resume and they found out they never graduated college or, you know, those kind of things, they can catch up to you. And so they did catch up to me in my life. And I just had to go back and say, okay, this is going to be day one now of my new life. And I will never make that mistake again. And then, you know, that was built on honesty and integrity. And then to get to that point, you know, I had a mentor in my life that took me through an exercise that took me about three months of determining everything that I believed and why I believed it. So whether it was about money religion, you know, what I believe success really meant. I, I did the, I did the work and I did the exercise. Um, you know, and then it, I went on to, which I already knew how to communicate. At least I, I had been educated how to communicate. I just wasn't really communicating. You know, so the first few years of my marriage with my wife were horrible. I was a horrible husband. I did a disservice to her as a wife and a mother, and I had to get back on track and use my communication skills to put ourselves in a better position in life. You know, so 
the chapters go sequentially of the lessons I learned, and they kind of build on each other. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, and so, tell us something else again about you know not just honesty and integrity. I think that's such an incredible lesson to start with. I mean, I I, I had the maybe good unintentional good fortune to learn a lesson about integrity in my very first job interview uh, for my first job that uh, stuck with me my entire career. And so I think if you can learn that lesson early on uh, as the beginning of your career and understand that is the foundation for everything, everything flows from that, boy, you can't learn a better lesson than that. So what, what, what next in terms of your learning journey came through? Well, you know, things that would seem like everybody got taught at one time in your life maybe and you just get away from them, like common courtesy, you know, just – being an active listener and, you know, being kind to other people, being respectful. Uh, you know, we live in a world now that's 140 characters or less. Everything happens real fast. The world's gotten small. And so people got in a hurry and we sometimes just forget, you know, even to hold a door for someone. So, you know, going back and reliving those kind of things and not judging books by their cover. I can't tell you how many times I've met someone and in my old mentality, my old life, I would have breezed right by them. Because I've, you know, stereotyped and pigeonholed them. Well, how, now, do, how do? That's an interesting question for you because it's, it, you know, yeah. several things you said here. It really comes through as, and I, I work with companies. And I teach this one is that you know, how do you teach people to learn to listen to someone else without judgment? You know, to be there. Well, you know, to to drop the filters and the biases that you might inherently have. Is how do you how do you how do you teach people to? Understand if you really want to connect with somebody, is you got to listen to them without judging what they're saying. Yeah, I, that's a hundred percent correct. And my belief is what I've come to find, and the evidence that I've received back in my world is most people learn best by experience. So if you can create experiences for people to learn the lesson, you know they they are immersed in something where they really get it. And if you can't create the experience, then the second best thing for me is is telling a story that they can assimilate with. So, you know, when I, when I have real life stories where I can share of, you know, somebody I met as a waitress, um, you know, who might've worked in a Hooters and you would have underestimated becomes a cat Cole, you know, who's now the president CEO of Cinnabon and mm-hmm. you know, in women in the world. Now all of a sudden you have something that you can draw upon. It's real. And somebody can go, Oh, you know, I met a lady yesterday and I might've underestimated her because for most people, until we see something, it's hard for us to get it. It's hard for us to believe it or to learn the lesson. So you can tell someone, hey, be an active listener. You know, Stop judging. Stop doing this. But they don't really hear you. But when you assimilate and you say, okay, have you ever been in this situation where somebody underestimated you? Where you, you know, and then they start thinking about it and they're like, yeah. Or if you, you know, give them a story that they can assimilate to. And then even more powerfully is, Sometimes as a leader, you've got to create experiences where you put somebody through something that it's discovery, right? Because that's our best learning opportunities when we discover something and the light bulb comes on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, interesting. It's sort of playing off that is, is something you'd written was interesting. You're talking about how you know many companies, especially today, they, they just play the odds utilizing a, a burn and turn mentality, I think is the term. You used, mm-hmm. and we see that in sales a lot these days. This is the whole focus is on the volume and the quantity of things we do versus the quality of of what we do. And 
how, same thing as you know, how do you work on a company level if you're advising a company to change their approach to become more other centric or service oriented? Uh, you know, this really to be sensational as we talk about. Yeah, you know, how, how do you how do you advise a CEO to start working on his culture to change? Yeah, well, you start with what he believes. You know, that's or she. Um, you got to know what they think and how they're wired. And so, if if there's somebody that's fact based. A publicly traded company, for instance, that's trying to appease shareholders and they got to hit a number every quarter and that kind of thing, then you're going to have to give them raw data, statistics, numbers, you know, that says with better employee engagement, less turnover, your profitability is better, your your customer retention is better. You're going to have to give them that kind of data. And and then they go, oh, yeah, I never, I never had that before. I never knew that was the case. For For other people, if they're wired as a nurturer, for instance, and I don't know if you've read this book, uh, but Five Voices, it's written by the co-founders of Giant Worldwide. No, I've it, not read that. Oh. Uh, well, they're, they're also the ones that originally started LeaderCast, which used to be John Maxwell's LeaderCast. But right, right. Yeah, Five Voices, it teaches you about people's internal wirings, whether they're a nurturer, a pioneer, or those kind of things. And so once you understand what kind of person that is, then you can meet them in their space, and you can... Uh, educate them in a way that they digest it. Because, you know, if I go into a meeting with a, with a CEO and he is an engineer, you know, I, he's going to want, or she, they're going to want the facts. Like, give me the, the statistics, give me the raw data. You know, if I tell them 1.725 and it was 1.721, they're going to get me, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to, mm -hmm. yeah, boop, you're wrong. So that person needs the facts. If I go into an organization and the leader of that organization started it in the company in their garage and they've grown it because of it's their passion, it's their belief, they sacrificed everything to do it, they'll never give up on their people, I can talk numbers to them all day and they don't care. They're like, I'll lose money to keep my people happy. So I've got to be talking about their emotional you know, intelligence and, and the people part of it. So it really depends on who you're working with, how you approach, I think. Very interesting. Well, another topic I wanted to talk to you about is so sort of last topic we'll talk before we get to the last segment of the show is uh, you've written recently about gender gap and in the context of soccer and that is you know one of your passions, one of mine. You talked about the uh, dispute that exists right now between the U.S. Women's National Team and the U.S. Soccer Federation over equal pay compared to the men's national soccer team, uh, and I thought, you know, bravo to you for taking on that that issue is, you know, we still see this this gender gap in so many professions. And I'll just talk about sales. We still see it in sales. I mean, studies that still come out showing that unequal pay exists, uh, unequal opportunities exist for men, you know, women versus men and so on. Is, is you know, again, you know, tapping into your work as you advise CEOs and companies is how do they, how do they close this gap? Where does that start? Yeah, I think one is awareness. So, you know, anything that you want to change or move in a different direction from, you got to know where you are and then kind of how you got there. So did you get there by accident? Did someone put you there? Um, and in, in the case of gender gap, you know, I think a long time ago, as I wrote in the paper, uh, some people made a decision to model corporate structure after the military. And so the original model was kind of broken because corporations and militaries don't have the same goals. And um, you know, back then they didn't have women involved in higher positions, et cetera. And they're very rarely now even involved in combat. So we, we got the wrong model. So the first thing is everybody has to go, Oh, that's what happened. Now we're aware. Now they go, well, why in the heck do we still do it? You know, because over time 
things change. You know, we, we originally used to have carburetors. Now we have fuel injection and, you know, things change. And for whatever reason, we have been slow to change in gender gap. And I think it's just because people weren't aware how we got there. You know, I, I mentioned that in what I wrote. If you go search and you talk to people, and I've talked to university presidents and very smart academic people and politicians, they just don't know how we got there. So I think, hey, here's how we got there. Here's our awareness. Now let's go somewhere else. And, and I think that's the first step. And then it, it takes people like you that have a voice and other influencers to step up and go, you know, like the women's U.S. soccer team, they generate more money. They've won more games. They won more championships. In every metric matrix, they are ahead of the game compared to the men's team. So the bottom line is pay them more. You know, that's it. Yeah, not, not one-third as much, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, good. Well, we're going to thank you. We're going to move into the last segment of the show. I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And once we get through the section, I'll give you a chance to tell people how to find out more about you. So the first question I have is a hypothetical scenario that all my guests have answered. It's really interesting to see how the answers come out. Is is in this scenario, you, Dwayne Cummings, have just been hired as a new VP of sales at a company who've they've lost the recipe for sales. The sales stalled out. They're just sort of hit a brick wall. So CEO wants things turned around quickly. What what two things could you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? Uh, well, I kind of did this in not sales, but in another area. And I, I spent time with and met with, it depends on the scope of the company and how big it is, of course, but I did every job and I spent time with every person, not just in the sales. So I would go to operations. I would go to, you know, procurement. I'd go to every position and spend time being empathetic, getting in their world and understanding them. Even if it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes going, okay, what are your challenges? You know, what do you feel good about? You know, what do you, what do you think is our assets and our liabilities? How do you look at sales? How do you feel the sales team is, et cetera. And I would do my due diligence as far as let's take the pulse of everybody involved in this company right now, because everybody in the company is in sales, regardless of whether they think they are, or they have that title. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then the second thing I would do is once I think I had a clear plan, I would communicate with everyone involved. Once of course you get your superior or the leader's approval, I would communicate with everyone involved, the blueprint. Here is where we are. And from what we've gathered in our information, here are our assets, liabilities. Here is where I think we should go first so that everybody's in on it. There's no secrets. There's no wondering what's the new guy up to? What's he doing over here? What's what's his intention? Everybody knows. And then everybody can either get on board or you quickly find out, oh, they, you know, they don't like the idea. They don't whatever. But by sharing that information instantly and you've already done your due diligence so they know you did some homework, you're not just guessing because you've asked their opinion, um, it gives everybody a chance to say, you know what, what do we have to lose? Let's, let's do this now versus he doesn't share what he's thinking. He doesn't share and he doesn't have the right information because he never asks us our opinion. So we're going to push back for a while before we get on board. Right. You know? Yeah, the passive resistance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great answer. Good. So, uh, some rapid fire questions. You can give me one word answers or elaborate if you wish. And the first one is when you, Dwayne Cummings, are out selling your services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Listening. Who's your sales role model? My wife. Love it. What's one book besides your own that every salesperson should read? Mm. The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. 
Love that book. Love Bob Berg. Great, great guy. Everybody that's listening, go out and buy the, the Go Giver. It's a great book. Uh, finally, last question: What music's on your playlist these days? Ooh. So this is going to be more than one word because sure, I sure, sure. Range from you know Frank Sinatra to hip hop to Keith Urban to music soundtrack soundtracks, but I probably have a hundred mashups, which are lots of songs put together. Um, and you know, I, my, I'm totally full, so I have to delete music every once in a while. (laughs) Yeah. But my wife and I, our favorite song is, uh, shut up and dance. And that's kind of how we start every day. I love it. Love it. Yeah. Well, good. Dwayne, thanks for being on the show today. And so tell people how they can find out more about you. Well, Andy, it, the simplest way is to go to DwayneCummings.com, D-U-A-N-E-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S, because at the top are all the icons where you can connect with me on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Um, yeah, D-U-A-N-E-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S.com, Dwayne Cummings. So thank you very, very much, Andy. Oh, thank you for being on the show. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And an easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate a part of your daily routine. Listen on your commute, in the gym, or maybe as part of your morning sales meeting. That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Dwayne Cummings, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.